Welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you with us another uh, Wednesday evening where we continue our reflections into theology of the body. Uh, we're going to be doing something a little different uh, this evening. In fact, this will be the first time that I actually have to leave studio. I am I will be unable to stay. I have to tend to another matter. So I actually have Derek Allen and Chris Seibert with me in studio. Uh, I am going to hand them the baton. <laughs> and uh, if you are a faithful listener out there, you know uh, Derek Allen and Chris Seibert. They have joined me before in the past. Certainly they are well equipped to uh, continue this journey, in particular with this book, Fill These Hearts, chapter three of Fill These Hearts. So uh, please stay tuned as uh, they get us started with a, a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Tonight we're looking at chapter 3 of Fill These Hearts by Christopher West. And this chapter titled, Fast Food. You know, in the last chapter, he sort of talks about how Christianity in modern times is very much a diet of starvation. To not feed eros, to not feed the deep sensual desires of our hearts. Whereas this chapter, Christopher West leads us into sort of the opposite side of that coin, the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, looking at the overindulgence of modern times. You know, we could say stems from the sexual revolution and may even stem earlier than that. Uh, you had mentioned before we went on the air that the 20th century is really in rebellion of the 19th century. Yeah. Um, which I think, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah, I came across that uh, in, in one of Christopher West's tape series. It wasn't necessarily in this chapter, but he spoke of, you know, you had Victorian era uh, sensibilities that were so oppressive of sensuality that if a woman was seen in public with her ankles showing, that was scandalous. And you can see, if you just use reason, the rebellion that might come from such an oppressive way of thinking. And he did say, well, look, what do we have? We have a rebellion against that, which is the sexual revolution and the, the culture that we have today. Well, and, you know, throughout history, look at any dictator it starts this idea of rebelling against oppression. And not to say that the 19th century was completely wrong, because as, as we get into chapter 3 of this book, we see that the pendulum can indeed swing to the opposite direction, which is very much where we are now in this culture of relativism, this, this immoral sort of culture. In the 19th century, we have full-length dresses, and then into the 20th century, you have things like bikinis, you know, complete opposites. Which they couldn't even get models to, to wear in, I think it was 40, 1946. They literally couldn't find women who would model this. They had to go and get burlesque dancers to, to actually model a bikini, which tells you how far our sensibilities have been transformed. And the 40s were only about 60, 70 years ago. Right. So one thing about that, that Victorian era that's dangerous, I think, uh, and, and Christopher West does talk about this in this chapter, is that the church kind of latched on in a lot of ways to this kind of oppressive, you know, ooh, that's dirty kind of approach to our sexuality. And it's 
taking a long time for us to break away from that because that is not the truth of what the church teaches about our sexuality. No, and I mean, there's a reason that when God created us, he did not create clothing first. We created clothing out of the shame of the fall. Adam and Eve in the garden after eating the fruit saw that they were naked and felt shame. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe it's to this point, you know, coming out of the 19th century, you could almost see the cry of the sexual revolution, shame no more, right. which of course has gone is beginning and it has already gone too far in a lot of areas. I think it's important to realize that the way our culture views sex, views that deep, deep, intimate desire in each and every one of our hearts is wrong. It's not something casual. It's not something that can just be given or taken here and there. No. I mean, it's, it's our way to share in the mystery of creation. And there's much more to it than just, you know, what, what someone does on the weekends or at night with different people. It's meant not to be fast food, to be consumed and, and kind of thrown away, but we're going to get to that next week, but it's meant to be a banquet, to be sumptuously appreciated, an experience of beauty in the right confines, though. A lot of this is a question of context. Well, and that fast food analogy, something that Christopher West uses in this chapter, mm-hmm. is something that we should definitely dive into a little bit further because, you know, where the 19th century you have this idea of, oh, yeah, sex is a wonderful banquet that you should never go to almost. <laughs> yes. Here in the 20th century, oh, sex is like a McDonald's cheeseburger or whatever, yeah. you know. You go down, you get it, you eat it, you throw away the trash, and you keep on walking. It's a free-for-all. Why wouldn't you take part in this? Come on, are you crazy? Are you idiotic? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, you know, to, to take this analogy a little bit further than the chapter, you go to McDonald's, you order a Big Mac with fries and a drink, you eat it, throw away the trash, and then you leave. And now let's look at that food. Is that food really nourishing your body, or is that food just getting you by? Mm-hmm. I mean... A McDonald's cheeseburger, Big Mac, or chicken nuggets, that's not really what is meant for our bodies. Mm-hmm. We can live off of that to some extent, but that, is not time. The, but that is not the fullness of what food is. Yes, so when you think about it, is that bringing some sense of nutrition to us? Sure, there's an echo of it, kind of like in a one-night stand, there's an echo of what was supposed to be beautiful. I mean, there is that experience of the erotic and... Oh, that's pretty incredible, certainly. But, you know, this listen to what Christopher West has to say because that same fast food is poisoning us. It's not just giving us nutrition, but at the same time, it's poisoning us to a degree that if we stay on that diet, it's going to kill us. And he, and he quotes from uh, Super Size Me, which was the uh, uh, documentary about uh, a guy who ate nothing but McDonald's for 30 days, for an entire month. And he says... By the end of his little experiment, he was dying. (laughs) I saw this. He goes into the doctor's office. He literally has IVs and uh, is on some sort of life support (laughs) because he's eaten nothing but McDonald's, which supposedly is feeding him but is killing him at the same time. And it goes on to say, he was dying. His body was literally shutting down from all the grease and sodium he had consumed. Well, and... Unfortunately for our culture, a lot of people who are stuck on that sort of diet in that sort of nutritional place just keep eating it because that's what's available to them. That's what they can afford. Yeah. You know, they don't want to cook. They don't have the time. Whatever 
whatever reason, that's what they stick with. And even for the people who say, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't eat out all of the time. Well, what am I going to do? You know, maybe they like the skills to cook. Maybe they like mm-hmm. the ability mm-hmm. to cook. But if we look at that from society's point of view, people still continue to look at sex through that lens. And the one place that they'll find the answer, the one place that there is a doctor, they're never going to go to. They're never going to go to the church and its beautiful teaching on what eros, that sort of erotic love, is. It's not something meant for a single night, for a single evening. Pope Benedict XVI talked about it a lot, how eros is what pushes our desire for God. It deepens our desire for God. Reading through this chapter, I couldn't help but think of a quote from Pope Benedict. The world calls you to comfort, but you were not made for comfort. You were made for greatness. The world, our society, calls us to a Big Mac and fries. We weren't meant for a Big Mac and fries. We were meant for, you know, a well-balanced, healthy, nutritional diet. Garden, fresh tomatoes, nice, juicy steak, whatever, chicken. Superfoods. Let's hear it for kale and almonds. And <laughs> <laughs> How many superfoods are there? I mean, that is something that you alluded to also, Derek, the fact that we live in a society that has completely recognized the counterfeit nature of fast food nutrition. It's not nutrition. It kills us. The irony is we haven't gotten to the point of realizing that one night stands and the sexual revolution and, and what Christopher West calls um, non-committed, pregnancy-free, sexual indulgence. That's the key to happiness. We haven't recognized that this is a counterfeit in the same way and even more so because it involves not just our bodies, but our souls and our eternal destiny, even more of a counterfeit. But we haven't recognized it yet in the same way that the organic movement and all of our great doctoral dissertations on nutrition have. And I look forward to that time when the theology of the body will open us up to that. Oh, yeah. And we had talked about this a little bit beforehand, that sex in the right time, in the right place of marriage for a married couple. What does sex do? It sparks literally a communion of at least three people, if not four, five, six, seven. Here comes the family. Here comes the kids, you know. For some people, that may be a a community of 14. Um, (laughs) And I've met certainly big families like that, and they're great. I know one, the whole crafts of 13, so we we are very close with one of them. (laughs) Yeah, and so we're... Sex in the right time, in the right place, in the sacrament, brings in that community. The way that our society is viewing sex and is using sex is anti-community. You know, to, to go back to that analogy of fast food, you eat that Big Mac and fries, and then you throw away the wrapper, you throw away the inconvenience of it, mm-hmm. which, you know, in this time and place, what is that inconvenience? That inconvenience is children. And we see that with abortion. We see that, well, no, we can't have that child. We're not married. You know, it's just supposed to be a one-night thing. Mm -hmm. We can't keep this commitment to each other. Mm -hmm. A good diet, a healthy diet, takes commitment. And Mm -hmm. building, fostering community takes commitment. It's a transcendent privilege for us to be able to come together as a communion of persons. As husband and wife, we have that great gift. And it's meant to be a moment of of recognition of God. You know, our seeking out of the other in Eros brings us to agape because that's who God is. God is a communion of persons. And when we come together as as husband and wife, 
and a third is produced, or like you say, a fourth, a fifth, when that happens, we are reflecting who God is. He is a father who has such great love for the son and a son who has such amazing love for the father that the love actually becomes a third, and we get to be a part of that. And to quote St. Paul from Ephesians 5, and this is a great mystery. Yeah. It really is, and it's a mystery that today's society isn't you know, necessarily attempting to solve, but is attempting and succeeding to ignore. No, there's nothing transcendent. There's nothing mysterious about this. Mm-hmm. It's just what I do for pleasure. It's just what I do with my girlfriend or what have right. you, boyfriend, you know, whatever. And that, that's not the point. We're truly going to nurture ourselves. Then we have to do that not only through what we take in through our mouths, but what we place in our soul as well. And, you know, that's where the virtues come into place at, you know, where the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the fruits of the Holy Spirit come from. That's their purpose is to enrich our souls. And when we live on this fast food sort of sexual diet, you know, like that instance in Supersize Me, we kill, we strangle our souls from God. As I, you know, glance through some of the pop culture references that Christopher West makes, obviously the Supersize Me, but also, you know, the people who are advertising for Victoria's Secret, for instance perfect example of sensuality divorced from the reality of of who we are as made in the image and likeness of God, but they have an echo of the truth. And Christopher West talks about this. We talk about fire and we talk about the context of it. One of the things my eighth graders really latched onto when we talked about the power of our sexuality, it is fire. We wouldn't go into our living room or into our classroom and throw down some coal, throw down some, some kindling and some, and some wood chips and cover that with uh, you know, some lighter fluid and throw a match on it. Why not? Well, because that's the wrong place for it. What's it going to do? Well, it's gonna, first it's going to burn Trey and uh, you know, Jordan that are sitting right next to the fire. So that's not good. And then it's going to destroy all of the stuff in the classroom. And then it's going to destroy the classroom. And then it's going to destroy the school. Oh, okay. So fire is a good thing, you know, and they list all the things that it does. It warms us. We cook with it. You know, we do so many great things with fire, but we don't build fire outside of the proper context. And when we exercise our sexuality outside of of marriage, it's destructive. It's not going to be life-giving. It's going to be life-taking eventually. Well, and that really is sex out of the sacrament of marriage. Right. You know, it it takes away from the enrichment of those people's lives. And that's why when we exercise that gift outside of the proper context, it's a counterfeit. It's it's a fake. And then even worse, it destroys. You know, it's important for us to realize that as Christopher West is leading us through this chapter, talking about fast food, talking about our sexuality, not only as individuals, but as we view sexuality as a culture— It's important to remember that there is something better out there. We are not a people destined for the fast food diet. We are not a people destined for overindulgence. And what I think it's important for us to realize is that it requires discipline. We have to discipline ourselves, which isn't easy, it's not fun, and it takes work. But to go back to Christ on the cross, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me especially with something like sex, a desire that is really universal for humankind, that desire has to be disciplined. 
not in the Victorian aspect of just pushed away, but regulated in a way that is effective and that is still enriching. Christopher West uses a quote from Woody Allen. And, you know, Woody Allen, you, you can see him as being somewhat of a secular person, but even he understands the importance of sex. Woody Allen said, Sex without love is a meaningless experience. But as far as meaningless experiences go, it's pretty damn good. Now, you'll have to pardon the French of Woody Allen, but he's right. But it's not meant to be a meaningless experience. Mm -hmm. Never was sex created to be meaningless. So what Woody Allen is saying there is, hey, if you're going to settle for something, you might as well settle for something great. But the point is, why would you settle? If you know you're settling, then set the bar higher. Which, of course, is our heavenly home. Mm -hmm. We are all pilgrims in this place. We were created on this earth, but we are not for this earth. You know, we are meant to, to die and, and join our Lord in the place that he has prepared for us. In the Gospel of John, Jesus talks about there being many rooms in his Father's house. His Father's house, of course, being in the kingdom of heaven, and we all have a room there. If we choose to enter into this mystery, to enter into Christ's invitation, to not settle for these more carnal desires, but to regulate them in a way that is, that is life-giving, in a way that, is, that it's meant to be, not in the Victorian age necessarily, but not in this overindulgent way either that our society is trying to push us into. Right, and I think that discipline you talk about, Derek, is building the fire where it is meant to be built. The, the fireplace, the oven, you do it within a certain context that it's safe, not going to destroy, it's going to give life, it's going to give light. What's what we're made for? I mean, our sexuality is tied up in why we are here and what the meaning of life really is. To quote Christopher West from this chapter, I look around at the culture and see evidence that there is plenty of sex going on, but very little happiness. And that speaks again to our yearning in the sexual act. We're really yearning for transcendence. We're not yearning for a cheap thrill. We're yearning for something that connects us to something so much larger than ourselves. You know, Christopher West shares this great quote from C.S. Lewis, and I think it really sums up where our society is at. And C.S. Lewis says, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And, you know, I think that, that we settle in our lives, that we settle in our spiritual life. That, you know, we see this great gift that God has given us in sex, but then we settle for it, not realizing that we are not meant for sex. We are meant for the kingdom of heaven. And for those of us who are called to married life, sex can get us to the kingdom of heaven. For those of us who are not called to the married life, sex isn't what God is using to get us to heaven. He has something else in store for those of us who are not called to married life. And I think it's important for us to remember that, that 
as great as sex is, sex is not the end goal. And to use different things as well, as great as diet and exercise are, diet and exercise are not the end goal. As great as, you know, whatever your hobby may be, maybe it's watching sports, maybe it's hunting, fishing, knitting, underwater basket weaving, whatever it is, those desires are not what you were meant for. We are meant for something greater. And I, I really like that quote by, by C.S. Lewis, we are far too easily pleased. And I love the way that Christopher West speaks about sex is like a sign pointing us in the direction of God. Will there be sex in heaven, he asks. He says, well, let's think about it this way. If you had to get to Chicago right now, what would you need? Well, you'd need a map, okay? What would you do with the map? You'd use that map to plot your way towards Chicago. What about, Christopher, when you get to Chicago? Do you refer to the map anymore? What do I need the map for? I'm there. I don't need it anymore. So once we're to our ultimate goal, then all of these things that point us there, we don't need them anymore because we're looking at something. We're experiencing something that is so far beyond what we can fathom, what we can contain here on earth that it's not even going to cross our minds what all of this the, the things that you just listed are, including sexuality. It's simply pointing us in the direction of that penultimate top-of-the-mountain experience that we're, we're meant for. You know, that brought to mind two things. In dealing with teens a lot in youth ministry, they often ask, is this thing in heaven? Yes. Whatever that thing is. Is it video games? Is it, mm-hmm. is it my dog? Is it whatever it may be? And I think it's important for us to remember is... Imagine the joy if you're a runner, the joy you get from running, the joy you get from maybe you compete in a half marathon or a marathon, that joy you get. Well, in heaven, you experience that joy infinitely more intensely. And nonstop. Without needing to run the marathon, without needing to hunt, without needing to watch sports, without needing to have sex. That joy is omnipresent in you. Mm Mm-hmm in a way that very few of us on this earth will ever get a hint of what that's like. We can look to the lives of the saints and the saints who have experienced bouts of ecstasy or, or what have you, and even in their moments of ecstasy, they're just seeing what heaven is like through a lens. We have brief glimpses of it. And how do we feel in those brief glimpses? Man, I want to stay here. You feel like Peter at the Transfiguration. It's like, oh, Lord, let me set up some tents <laughs> so we can stay right here. Derek, if you're anything like me, in those few moments on earth where you have those blissful, like, transcendent, open up my heart and my soul and and just let God in completely, man, do you want to stay there? I just, can this be the reality forever? I mean, none of us want to leave those. You know, it's important to realize in those moments that even in those moments, even with something like sex, we can take that moment with our spouse and, and that joyful moment, and in return, use that joy, you know, maybe at work, maybe with our kids, whatever it is, those moments of transfiguration that God gives us throughout our lives are meant to be taken with us. They're not meant for us to stay there, because even in those moments, that is not our home. And the word that comes to mind, Derek, is effusive. Uh, I love that because it, it speaks to this, we receive gifts and we give give them away. Hopefully, 
10, 30, 100 fold. You know? So in the gift of our sexuality, which is obviously our topic here, I am so imbued with God's spirit and presence through that gift that I then turn around and give more of myself, and I become effusive, and it grows from there. Well, and it's, it's interesting that you say that because that idea of giving yourself you know, on and on so many times is very much the message of the sexual revolution. Mm. But if you can think of this as like an actual gift, you know, maybe it's Christmas, you're at an office party or whatever. Imagine if the gift you receive is a re-gift, but not only a re-gift, but a re-gift that is used by every previous receiver. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe at first it was a brand new bottle of wine and the first person popped the cork and drank a third of the bottle, but then put the cork back on so that he could wrap it up to give it away at the next Christmas party. And by the time you get it, this once beautiful bottle of wine mm-hmm. is but an empty bottle. Maybe if maybe it's even broken. Mm-hmm. And yet that image, when we give ourselves to someone besides our spouse, that image of that wine bottle is very much our souls and our hearts. And so it's important to remember that you know, if you give that gift, that you give that gift to your spouse and your spouse alone, mm-hmm. and from that spouse, you receive their gift. And that's where sex belongs. Yeah. Not, not this idea of being, as, the, as our society would say, just something you can casually give to whomever and whenever you would like. Mm-hmm. But no, I mean, it, it really is the fullness of yourself that you are meant to give to someone that you are committing yourself to in the sacrament of marriage. And to take the analogy a a bit further, imagine Christmas morning, all the gifts are under the the tree, you're seven years old, and I mean you're bursting at the seams to get down the stairs, to see the fireplace, to check out the stockings, and then of course to just, after you do whatever the family tradition is, bolt towards those gifts that you've just been hankering for. What would it feel like if as you walked in, or rather sprinted in, all the gifts are already opened? Yeah. You would look at that and you'd say, ah, disappointing. I wanted to open the gift. I wanted the honor and the privilege of being the first to unwrap that gift. And that's why we're meant to wrap ourselves in in goodness and purity for our spouses, because that's what... God intends for us. It's interesting because it's easy for us to blame our culture. It's easy for us to blame the sexual revolution. Mm-hmm. It goes back to Adam and Eve in the garden. It wasn't until they ate the fruit of the tree that Adam and Eve felt shame. And that's where this idea of desiring the fast food, that's where all of this comes from. The word that the church gives us is this word concupiscence, you know, that we desire what what is sinful. And it comes, in essence, to us naturally because we are a fallen people, but we are not destined to stay fallen. Jesus on the cross gives us that ability to lift out out of the muck, to to sort of raise up and be risen people, uh, which is important, and I think it's something that we should all realize. Uh, Chris, do you have any closing thoughts, anything you want to end this with? You know, I'm, I'm in the garden with you, and I'm just thinking about Adam's wow moment. This indeed is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. That's what we want to get back to. We want to get back to that original innocence where we can look at each other in our beauty 
the beauty of our nakedness, but, but really, truly, with pure eyes and minds and hearts, and it's incredible reality of what gift God has given us as man and woman. That's really where I think Christopher West is going to be taking us next into this book, the, the idea banquet. of of we're not meant to starve ourselves, we're not meant to overindulge, that there is a true gift that God has given us. That's all the time we have for this evening. Thank you all for joining us tonight. Thank you for listening. Uh, I hope you all have a wonderful week, and God bless. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.